the feedback I was getting from students, either personally or that I heard from students around, was that ultimately it was the passion of the teacher that mattered the most. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I am very excited about this episode for multiple reasons. Number one, this is our Platinum Jubilee episode. I started recording this podcast around December 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, and I did not expect this to go about for 16 months, but I've been I've had a pleasure of talking with several distinct leaders, CIOs, chancellors, and presidents. However, as you can expect, this is our Platinum Jubilee episode. So we have a stellar guest for us. Anant Agarwal is on the podcast as a featured guest. Anant is a chief open education officer at 2U edX. He was the founder and CEO of edX an online learning destination founded by Harvard and MIT. Anand taught the first EDX course on circuits and electronics from MIT, which drew 155,000 students from 162 countries. He has served as a director of CSAIL, MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, and is a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at MIT. He's a successful serial entrepreneur, having co-founded several companies, including Tilera Corporation, which created Tile Multi-Core Processor, the Virtual Machine Works. Anant won the Maurice Wilkes Prize for Computer Architecture, the Yidan Prize for Education Development, and MIT's Mullen and Jameson Prizes for Teaching. He holds a Guinness World Record for his largest microphone array, and as an author of the textbook, Foundations of Analog and Digital and Electronic Circuits. His work on organic computing was selected by Scientific American as one of the 10 world-changing ideas in 2011, and he was named in Forbes' list of top 15 education innovators in 2012. Anant is a member of the National Academy of Engineering and fellow of American Academy of Arts and Sciences and fellow of ACM. Anant, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Thank you, Karan. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your uh, uh, platinum uh, session. Uh, that's an incredible, uh, incredible accomplishment in the space of uh, you know roughly a year and a half of uh, crazy times. And so, it's a real delight to join you uh, today, Karan. Thank you so much. You've been, you have, you are a teacher, you are an innovator, you are an entrepreneur, and you're obviously a great student. So I don't even know where to begin the discussion. However, I think it's important for everybody everybody to know because I also grew up in India and I do know a little bit about IIT Chennai where you got your education from. So a lot of times people think, well, the world's, if somebody asks somebody, what is the what is the institution with the lowest acceptance rate? People think it's MIT or Harvard or Yale, but you know, well, you and I know that IIT Chennai is 0.6% acceptance rate. And it's it's crazy to know somebody that has gone through that. Can you talk to us a little bit about how IIT has shaped your journey as an educator, innovator, and entrepreneur as well? You know, Kiran, what is what is interesting is that what shaped me. Uh, more than anything else, particularly in my work as a founder of edX, was not what happened all of during IIT, but in the very first few months when I joined IIT. So I grew up in a small town called Mangalore, 
uh, not Bangalore, Mangalore, which is on the Arabian Sea coast. And uh, uh, our education system in the town was, uh, I mean, the standards were not that high compared to the bigger cities. And so somehow I managed to luck, uh, you know, find my way into an IIT. I was pretty lucky there. And when I got in, um, uh, the physics in IIT was taught calculus-based physics, and I hadn't done any calculus-based physics before. And so I failed my first physics exam. I was one of two students in the first batch of uh, IIT Madras uh, that failed the, uh, uh, the two students that failed the physics, physics exam. And so that was uh, such a shock for me. And I thought my world was over. And, you know, a lot of the roots and how I think we should be democratizing education, making education accessible, uh, reducing the college readiness gap. All of these things, I think, uh, have been bubbling in my mind ever since that time at IIT where uh, I was completely unprepared for college uh, compared to many of my um, other students who had opportunities at much bigger towns. And here I was from a small town thinking I was uh, really good. Uh, but then uh, when you really came into what is really, really, really good, like IIT, you found that uh, uh, you, were, you were really wanting. And so to me, <coughs> to me that was uh, a real uh, watershed moment for myself. And then the rest of IIT, I think it was incredible where uh, the opportunities we had uh, and this was just, you know, a fraction of a percent of the population had access to such a quality education was huge. It completely changed my life. And so part of what motivates me in everything that we do is how can we increase access to learning for everyone, everywhere, no matter where you are, no matter where people are, where they can get a quality education uh, free or very affordably, uh, no matter, you know, what the admissions rates of various institutions are. I agree. And I think that's kind of the two sides of the coin, right? Because as much as we want to celebrate the fact that you're so smart and you got into a institution like IIT, um, and, and rightfully so, because there's only so many students each institution can accept. However, the other side of the coin is that 99.94% of the students who would have been qualified, who would have learned and benefited from that experience can learn from it, should learn from it, because I think everybody deserves a right for a great education. And I want to talk a little bit about edX uh, as well, because I think that's something that's everybody's familiar with and phenom phenomenal with your inventions. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, when you said in one of the interviews where um, the where we were trying to compare and contrast your education in Mangalore, and then you obviously went to IIT and to Stanford. What did you see as a difference between different educational paradigms, if there are any, between what you are currently doing at MIT or and Stanford and MIT and IIT as well? You know, uh, just to finish up on the previous thought, Kiran, first of all, you know, education is a human right. And so everybody should have access to it. And, and it, it breaks my heart that because of capacity constraints and physical campuses, we can only admit a small percentage of people that really care to learn. And so with online learning and having founded edX uh, uh, with MIT and Harvard, uh, our approach here was, can we create a virtual campus for the whole world? And uh, today edX and 2U partnered with over 230 institutions, including some of the top universities in the world, like MIT, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, as well as companies like uh, Google, AWS, IBM, and offer courses and, and all the way up to degrees to 43 million learners from all over the world. And so we are trying to democratize education in a way uh, through online learning that is completely scalable. 
And as I myself went through my education through uh, you know, Mangalore, through IIT, Stanford, and then uh, uh, teaching at MIT for 34 years, I think one thing stood out for me, which is that irrespective of whether it was in-person teaching at the high school level in Mangalore or uh, IIT or Stanford, or whether it was uh, my experiences with edX with the online teaching and learning, one thing stood out that the modality of learning, whether it's online or in-person was really irrelevant. The feedback I was getting from students, either personally or that I heard from students around was that ultimately it was the passion of the teacher that mattered the most. It didn't matter whether the teacher was teaching online or the teacher was teaching in person, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the passion that matters. And we see kids today so enthralled by online, various online modes and social networking. It doesn't matter whether it's online or in person, people can be motivated and people can be inspired through any medium. And what matters the most is the passion of uh, teachers. And in fact, in my first circuits course that you mentioned, you know, I use uh, kind of the, uh, the Khan Academy, Salman Khan style uh, model of online teaching where I write on a tablet and I'm writing on a tablet and on the screen, students mm -hmm. see me writing and drawing and sketching uh, like as if I'm using a blackboard. And the students um, in the discussion forum on edX commented that, oh my God, it felt as if Professor Agarwal was sitting right next to me and talking to me and giving me a personal tutorial in, in, how, uh, in how Professor Agarwal talked. And so that's I awesome. think that we can be inspiring people uh, in any modality. And I, that's what I found common across all of these uh, uh, institutions and the journey that I've been through. And that's amazing. I totally agree with you. If an instructor is passionate about teaching and making sure that students learn and present the information in an in engaging, entertaining, and even like articulate fashion, I think that'll go a long way. But let's take a step back and uh, maybe since you talked a little bit about edX and I'm pretty sure everybody in the world knows what, what edX is, but it might be good for us to just educate people that have not heard the term called MOOCs or massive open online courses, um, no more information. For example, like if you think about it, um, there has always been this idea of correspondence courses where, you know, ASU 50 years ago would send out books and you would finish out the tests and send them back. And later it morphed into VHS tapes and then it became CDs. And obviously now it is completely online. What is the difference between a online course and a massively open online course and also a classroom-driven, instructor-driven course. Can you talk to us a little bit about the differences between the three modalities of teaching? Sure. So um, uh, I'll use edX as an example. So we built a platform. What is a platform? A platform connects consumers to producers. So uh, on edX, the edX platform, we have uh, instructors from some of the top institutions around the world offering courses. And learners from all over the world can come and take the courses. So we have this platform, we connect learners to instructors and their content. A MOOC is a massive open online course. So uh, courses on edX are free to learn. Uh, you can come in and uh, no matter where you are, whether you're in my hometown of Mangalore or when I went to college in Chennai or uh, you know, later college in Palo Alto, doesn't matter where you are. With one click, you can go to edX.org and you can sign up for a course. It's free, free to learn. 
and you can start learning. And because these courses are high quality courses from some of the top institutions in the world and some of the top professors in the world, um, there are not just thousands, but in some cases, millions of learners that come into a course. My own circuits course do 155,000 students from 162 mm -hmm. countries in the first course on edX in 2012. And today, it's uh, nearly a million learners have taken that course online. So it's massive because hundreds of thousands of students can be taking a course online. And all of the grading is done by computer. And so because it's auto-graded by computers in the cloud, uh, we can scale to large number of students and even give them grades and give them a certificate. You complete a course, you get a certificate from MIT X in circuits. And so it's massive in that it's a big course, it's scalable, it's open in that there's no admissions. You can click and you can come in and learn. It's online because it's completely in the online modality. And it's a course because at the end of the course, you can get a certificate for the course mm -hmm. and you can post that on your LinkedIn profile. So that's a uh, MOOC. Now, that's correct. Uh, it, the, the, there are many online courses where you may have to pay a fee. So for example, uh, uh, there are also many other courses where there's a live instruction. Uh, there are many different kinds of ways of doing it. So at uh, 2U, for example, we have boot camps. Uh, with boot camps, those are also uh, online programs. And there, the there's a lot more high touch, a lot more. It's online, but there's live interaction with uh, instructors mm -hmm. and so on. It's much higher touch. Uh, it's also an online course. But because of the high touch with instructors and where the many one-on-one -on -one interactions, uh, it is not all completely asynchronous like a MOOC. And so sure. therefore, it tends not to be massive, but it is uh, very highly engaging uh, and can have very good outcomes uh, nonetheless. That's great. I'm, I'm really glad that you kind of spelled out the differences because like, going back to the original IIT um, analogy, if we were to open up the classrooms, let's say you are, you're all on IIT Chennai campus and you the instructor is teaching on the Blackboard, obviously a uh, little differently, it's a MOOC, and we publish it online so that anybody can at least get the learning experience that you do, uh, whether it is IIT or Harvard or MIT, that is a great idea. Obviously, I do understand that. Um, but I think there's a couple of things about MOOCs that are interesting as we start learning more and more about it. How about in, in that if somebody is motivated, if a student is motivated, he wants he or she wants to come and learn, MOOCs are great because they have the motivation, they have the passion, they can sit and learn and rewind and move forward as much as possible. However, if a student is having a question, if student is not understanding the topic, what kind of a support does a student get in a massive open online course when you have hundreds of thousands of students, if you will? I think the uh, the kind of support you get in a massive open online course versus a online executive education, online degree, or an online bootcamp uh, uh, can be quite a bit different. In a massive open online course, um, for instance, the uh, Harvard's course on uh, introduction to uh, programming, uh, you know, has taught multiple millions of students, and so there are million, a million students in the class, and so you can't answer the instructor cannot answer each individual student's questions. But the way it works is that we have integrated a discussion and a Q&A forum uh, within the course. And students post their questions in the forum. And most of the time, even before you have completed typing 
the whole question and uh, and having waited 10 or 15 minutes, uh, an answer will pop from uh, so some, some of the students somewhere else. And students are answering each other's questions and learning by teaching the material to their mm -hmm. peers. And so most of the discussion is happening among students. And once in a way, the professor will have to come in. And this is not unlike my own experience at IIT, where you know, we called our friends at IIT, the IIT Janta. Janta stands for population. <laughs> so, That's right. And so most of my learning was from other IIT students. You know, I would be scratching my head at 2.30 a.m. at night, uh, swatting for an exam at 8 o'clock in the morning, and no idea what was going on. So I would go and bang on the door of uh, one of my neighboring colleagues uh, in the dorm, uh, uh, the Godavari dorm that I stayed in, and I said, how the heck do you do this? And they would help me out. And right. so uh, we, we would constantly ask and teach each other, and no way could I go to... Uh, you know, uh, Professor Swami Dadan's house to ask him a question at 2.30 a.m. at night when the exam was in, uh, you know, five hours. And so we learn from each other. In online courses, in MOOCs, students learn from each other. It's sure. But if you look at online degree courses, online uh, boot camps and online exec ed and so on there, there's a lot more of synchronous live interaction with instructors and other staff members where there's a lot more handholding, a lot, lot more supports, and uh, that enable incredible outcomes at boot camps, for example, 90% uh, of the students who uh, that take the boot camps are successfully completing it. So the numbers, yeah. success rates are very high. Right, I agree. And, and I totally agree with you that in, even in a typical campus setting, as much as we want to hope that instructor, even it, it starts with even in high school, that they have one hour physics or calculus lesson and uh, my son gets more help from other resources rather than going to his teacher. And I'm glad to hear that there is discussion forums and other resources. Um, what if, uh, you know, again, these are just some ideas that where MOOCs are helping a lot of students that are motivated to learn or struggling to, trying to learn, but they're struggling to catch up on things. Are there support infrastructure available on MOOCs if a student it loses interest? You know, is that in the horizon of MOOCs to say, you know, because there is one statistics I heard that in a few of the MOOC courses, the graduation rates or completion rates are less than 8%. And that's understandable because sometimes people click on a button just getting excited about something without really paying attention to what they're learning. But are there opportunities for MOOCs to do a better job to help students who are who have a potential to to complete it successfully, but they're straggling, if you will? Yeah, we do quite a few. Uh, we do quite a few things, Kiran. Um, uh, for students that sign up into a course and opt for the certificate track, uh, where they're showing commitment, uh, uh, on edX we see uh, graduation rates of sixty percent. Uh, that's amazing and where but these are for students that have signed up for the certificate track now even there we are looking to find ways to motivate students and so a number of techniques perhaps the most important technique is that we encourage students when they start an online course is to find a study buddy and and group learning group teaching uh, can be very useful and so we have courses on edX on how to be a good online learner and we encourage students to find a group or a study buddy in order to take the course. So that is one idea. And we have uh, studies done by, by uh, you know, researchers at MIT that showed that students that worked with a study buddy were succeeding at far higher rates than students who uh, uh, worked alone in a MOOC. Uh, the second example we use is that 
we ask students to actively post and actively engage in the discussion forums. Um, sure. And and there, because these discussion forums are, are you know, you don't have to you know, you don't you don't have to uh, you can ask questions anonymously if you like. Um, getting engaged is really important. So that's the mm -hmm. second approach. The third approach is that if you have built a number of platform features where the platform automatically sends encouraging emails to students, when the students complete their first assignment, they get a celebratory message and they get uh, a shower of petals kind of celebrating the success. You know, and we are used to positive feedback when we do well in class. And so yeah. we use uh, automated techniques to do it. We also encourage the instructors to send out weekly reminders and weekly summaries to students. So a platform has weekly summaries that go out to students. So many, many ways in which we create a regular cadence of engagement with the students so that they continue engaging with the course. And uh, because, you know, 70% uh, of the learners on edX uh, are uh, students who might be uh, already in college or they might be working and so on. They have a, a, a job. And so a lot of, lot, of, uh, lot of other competing commitments come in the way of learning. And so sure. find ways to encourage them uh, as they proceed. But of course, in, uh, in programs like the boot camps and so on, or in degrees, and there are live interactions where there are mentors that will communicate live with the students and keep them on track. Uh, they're called success coaches. They help them succeed. There's career guidance. There's all kinds of supports that you see uh, in a traditional university setting. Uh, you see these supports that do you and edX provide in an online fashion that lead to uh, incredible, incredibly good results. In fact, 97% uh, of the students who've earned a uh, 2U powered degree uh, have had a career advancement. And so the success can be very, very high. That's amazing. And I want to talk a little bit about the, you know, the merger or acquisition of edX by 2U and how, what that means for the two companies and also for education as well, because I think that's kind of the where I was going with this as much as, you know, when I first started getting excited about MOOCs in 2015, I was extremely excited, but it, in a way, sometimes it's like saying, you know, here's a textbook to learn from it, because ultimately it is up to me to learn by reading the textbook. And yes, I can, I, I imagine I can get some peers to help me when I'm stuck, but it's still not the same experience as a class with 30 students that we are consider ourselves as a traditional education model, not that, you know, that is the right model or, is it, or even scalable. So I like the fact that you're truly democratizing, democratizing education by adding study buddies, adding like sense graduation techniques, and also leveraging the power of, you know, what, what worked well with online course, course schools like Western Donors or Walden, where you had assign an advisor, a mentor, and a champion as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about the acquisition or merger of edX and 2U and how these two companies are leveraging each other's strengths to the success of the student? So when edX merged with uh, uh, 2U, um, the main motivation for us coming together was the mission. Um, for me, it's always been about the mission, the mission of edX, and it's so synergistic with the mission of 2U. The words we use at edX uh, before the merger were, we want to increase access to education to everyone everywhere, and we want to improve the quality of learning. So two major 
bullets uh, increase access and increase the quality of education, whether online or in person. At Two You, the very very similar mission where. Uh, uh, their statements where they want to unlock human potential through learning and, uh, you know, no back row in education where, you know, uh, in an in-person class, if you're in the back row, uh, it could as easily be distance learning because usually the people on the front row, particularly for a large class, get all the attention and people in the back, you know, don't know what's going on oftentimes. And so to you, no back row is a big mantra for to you. So missions were incredibly aligned. And so we felt that by coming together, you know, we could increase access uh, in a way that edX could never have done by itself and provide a quantum, a quantum leap in our uh, mission going forward together. And, and, and in terms of to you, we're very, very complementary product sets. edX had free MOOC courses, edX had the micromasters and micro bachelors and professional certificates and a few uh, degrees. To you is very complimentary. To you had a lot more of the online high touch programs, a uh, lot more engaging in, in the sense of uh, smaller cohorts and so on. Uh, they had boot camps, executive education, and the 200 degree programs. And so by coming together, this whole portfolio from free to degree now is offered on edX.org, where for students coming in, they find a complete one stop shop for education where in the future I see education becoming lifelong, where learners might take uh, short courses, they might take uh, uh, a micromasters or micro bachelors, which is a micro credential, uh, which can convert into credit and they can continue on with a master's degree. And so there's so much synergy where, you know, two of you is excited about, uh, you know, offering many micromasters that lead into their master's degrees and create this free to degree the learning pathway. Everyone's talking about modular uh, uh, stackable credentials. And so by partnering with 2U, it brings together two incredible forces in education. And together, I'm confident that this will really expand our mission by, you know, by a quantum amount. I love it. I, I, again, I think that's exactly where I was going with. I think we should when we talk about democratization, we have to think of learners, especially just like anywhere else in a high school or a college, you have out of the hundred students in a classroom, we have 10 students that are highly motivated. They will learn, they will talk to somebody, they will get on a Khan Academy uh, like my son is. And there's about 20 students that are like moderately motivated. They will do it if somebody tells them to do it. They're never finished their, they finish their assignments mostly on time. And then there's 70% of the students that are there because they they've have been asked to. to. They've been asked, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> by their parents or by their employer. And that's where, those are the students, unfortunately, where we need to push and prod. But, you know, again, just, that doesn't mean that they're bad students or that doesn't mean that they will not graduate, but they need, more help and the fact that to you and edX have come together to support the whole gamut of learners and their learning styles is amazing while we're let me give you a quick example because that's it's a very very important point and i want to double click on it if i may use that uh, 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 the, the modern term um you talked about you know prodding a lot of the students uh, we need to motivate them we need to give them incentives we need to help them understand why they need to learn. Um, and as edX was, we created MOOCs and many of our programs, 
we didn't have many of these support systems. Do you had them? So many of these examples of success coaches that do you has. Do you also has an incredible career services uh, uh, program where they help students with the career skills, soft skills, resume skills, uh, you know, how to write a resume, how to write a letter, how to interview for jobs. And they also connect them to employers and help students find a job. It's kind of the last mile, if you will, of uh, finding a job where edX was focused very much on the, the first part. And two, you had a lot of the pieces like the last mile to help students find a job. And to me, that is really exciting where with edX and two, you now, we are interested over time to offer these services across a much broader portfolio of offerings and left to ourselves, edX could never have built it, never. But right, two, those, that were the mission. That. And so that, so that is really exciting where for too many students, for the 70% of students you talked about, oftentimes you, you have to motivate them. And by providing the, showing them the connection to jobs and providing the career skills, that could be just what is needed to get them over the hurdle to start learning much more uh, intensely. No, I agree. And again, that's, that's unfortunate, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, if you think about the graduation rates in colleges, you know, it's not just MOOCs. If you look at on the national uh, graduation rate of the United States, um, everything, especially even a four-year colleges is about 36%. And that's the best. It's a third. I mean, it, it is, it is depressing. Yeah. It is depressing as to, you know, how, how low those are. And so in fact, 70% of, uh, uh, the adult learners in the U.S., you know, uh, have some college but no degree, and so they're all the mass of people that need to upskill, need to find the more college, and need to be able to advance in their careers. And I agree, and I think that's where, if you look at the, there's a lot of statistics that are going on about, you know, the four enrollment of four-year colleges are in a continuous downward trend since what 2000 or even before that, and uh, the pandemic has only made it worse from what I heard. But if you look at the trend of online learning institutions, whether it's ASU or Western Governors or Walden, they're on a continuous uptake for two reasons. One is they're look, the students are looking at this as a more affordable choice, but more importantly, the 70% of the students that a traditional education system has left behind or made the students felt like uh, they can't pursue it, they can go back to the system through the online schools. And uh, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that to you, and edX together are giving one more affordable option, if not more affordable than typical ASU or, GS, ASU or Western governors. Can you talk to us a little bit about the affordability? If a student wants to pursue a Bachelor of Arts or a micro-credential from 2U, how does it compare to a typical four-year college? Obviously, that to a typical four-year college is gonna be very expensive. And also when compared to a Western governors or Walden, if you will. You know, in, uh, in our common mission with edX and uh, to you, uh, increasing affordable access to education to everybody is front and center in our minds. And in order to provide that access, education has to be online because, you know, a large number of people are working, they have a family, they can't, they can't go to campus. So just the online modality itself increases access. It has to be affordable. There have to be many alternatives uh, by the undergraduate or graduate level. And so this is all extremely important to uh, edX and uh, to you. And the approach we have taken is kind of a, a, a modular stackable approach where for a lot of students, they may just want a micro bachelor's or a micro master's or a bootcamp. They may not want a whole degree. It, you know, people can upskill and get a job or a career advancement with that. 
89% of the learners who completed a micro masters on edX had a career advancement within three months, a new job, a pay raise, or a promotion. Uh, for many learners that want to go for the full degree and the micro credential, like the micro masters, will stack into a full degree. And there's a range of price points and range of engagement levels. And uh, although the price point is ultimately set by the university, uh, there are all kinds of options. So for example, uh, 2U has a undergraduate degree uh, offered by the London School of Economics and the University of London for, um, and, the, and the degree is, uh, uh, you know, a, a little over 20,000 pounds. So around $25,000, uh, uh, $27,000 is a whole undergraduate, an entire undergraduate degree. It's not uh, like a one-year degree, it's an entire undergraduate degree from London School of Economics and University of London, no less, in economics. And there's, uh, and there's many such degrees, almost, I think it's nine um, such degrees um, available through the London School of Economics. Uh, there's a lot of excitement with new degrees that are being launched with Morehouse College, for example. Uh, there's also, uh, uh, we have masters, a, a, a large number of master's degrees. And then again, the, the, the price points and the topics, uh, the length of the degree, uh, all of these things vary quite a bit and learners uh, get a lot of these choices. Uh, with edX, for example, uh, uh, and now with the 2U, uh, we have, uh, uh, we launched a master's in computer science from UT Austin for $10,000. We mm. launched a master's in data science for $10,000. These are disruptively priced uh, uh, degrees, highly affordable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, already in the space of two or three years, uh, we have nearly 2000 students enrolled in the computer science and data science uh, programs. And so I think the main idea here is that we want to make these programs accessible and affordable. We just launched, uh, uh, you know, after we partnered with 2U, uh, we launched with BU, Boston University, a master's in public health for about $24,000. And mm -hmm. 2U will be providing a lot of 2U services uh, for the MPH program. We launched a $24,000 uh, MBA uh, from BU. Uh, a, 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 again, highly affordable. Uh, it's an uh, MBA program where the students get the same credential as Boston University. So access and affordability is important. But I, I do need to continue reminding ourselves that the price uh, a point for the degree is ultimately set for the university, but sure. at UU edX, we are constantly striving for affordability and, uh, and the more affordable the degree is, uh, the lower the price point, it is actually easier for us to market the degree and make it available to learners all over the world. That's great. And I can totally imagine doing a master's in computer science or bachelor's in computer science or public health or economics I'm kind of intrigued by public health because one of the things that people always push back on when, you, when it comes to online learning or MOOCs is, well, you know, you can't become a doctor doing online learning or you can't become a nuclear physicist, if you will. Are there opportunities to do like instruction and online and then laboratories going on campus? What are some of the opportunities to merge the online and immersive programs for things that require real like laboratories, if you will? You know, I think uh, um, uh, on edX, we used to do that, do some of that with virtual labs. So my own circuits course on edX from MIT has an online circuits lab. Um, we use simulation so people can build circuits and so on. And so uh, many of our courses have such online labs. Uh, some courses ship lab kits, uh, there's an embedded systems lab from uh, UT Austin, for example. There's also a uh, course on uh, uh, machine learning. 
machine learning for embedded devices uh, from Harvard, where uh, the students use uh, a lab kit. Um, uh, but 2U and edX take you to the next level, of course, where 2U has partnerships, believe it or not, with 60,000 uh, institutions around the world where learners can go and complete their uh, a practicum or a lab or an internship uh, as part of the degree program completely in person. So, you, so you're taking the online degree with 2U, but then let's say it's physician's assistant or it's nursing or... Uh, it is one of a variety of uh, speech pathology, a variety of disciplines that require physical interaction with patients and students and, and, and the way you have to work in person. Um, uh, but 2U is able to place uh, learners across uh, 60,000 sites around, network of sites around the world for clinical placements. And so uh, that is incredible. Uh, you know, uh, something like that is critical to be able to uh, get people to graduate from fields like uh, where clinics are needed. So for example, uh, uh, the Yale Physician's Assistant Program uh, is very successful on uh, 2U with a 2U powered degree there, uh, but the clinical placement uh, is, is, is extremely uh, important. That's great. I, I love the idea of like collaborating with other institutions and coming up with a practicum approach because that is the only way you can be make it truly interactive and engage with different learners as well. So can let's take a step back a little bit because I know you were a student, you got into Stanford, you were a learner and you were doing a little bit of teaching. What led you to start the edX project? Can you talk to us a little bit about the origins of the edX project? What inspired you to start it and what, what drove you to be so successful at it? It was one of those things where, um, uh, like the accidental tourist, uh, you kind of uh, fall into certain things. Um, and you certainly had not planned my life in this direction. But certainly, you know, the, the, the anecdote I told about my IIT experience where I failed the first physics exam stayed with me where, you know, how do we increase access to uh, education to everybody to increase college readiness for every student everywhere? That, that certainly stayed with me. Um, you know, at MIT, we had launched uh, OpenCourseWare in 2000. It was kind of the uh, start of the whole uh, OER, Open Education Resource Movement. And my course was an OpenCourseWare. And uh, I'd continue to think about how we can take all of that to the next level. Uh, um, I built a lab. Uh, I called it uh, the WebSim. Uh, I wanted to con confirm we could do an online lab. And so I built uh, the WebSim where learners on the average day uh, in 2003, 2004, two, 300 learners from around the world would come and do online circuits lab. That convinced me that we could do labs online at scale. And then uh, I was hugely inspired by uh, Salman Khan from Khan Academy, who was actually my student at MIT. And so with all the work that he was doing, um, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, there's a confluence of technologies, you know, cloud computing, uh, uh, social networking, uh, video distribution at scale, um, uh, mobile computing, all of these, these four technologies came together in the late part of the first decade of uh, 2000. And uh, as we began brainstorming at MIT as to how do we create an MIT for the whole world uh, sure. rather than for the uh, you know thousand people we admit every year. Uh, and that's when the idea of uh, edX was born uh, in conversations with colleagues at MIT. And we launched uh, MITx initially in 
2011. And then it morphed into edX as many universities came and joined us, uh, Harvard, Berkeley, and UT system were the first ones to join. Uh, and then many others from Atlanta, Georgia Tech joined, many others. Uh, mm. So we partnered with universities all over the world. With Georgia Tech, we launched uh, a $10,000 degree in analytics and a $10,000 degree in uh, cybersecurity. And so, so uh, we came together with universities very quickly uh, following that initial goal that how do we create a university-like virtual academy where we could educate anybody in the world, not just the people on campus. And that's how edX was born in 2011 and 12. That's awesome. Again, I, I congratulate you on all your success. Uh, but I heard in one of your interviews that your goal is to educate a billion people. Uh, how are you doing on that goal? Where are you? Uh, are you close to the target? Did you already exceed the target? Can you talk to us a little bit about how many students were educated through edX platform so far? So uh, the edX platform has uh, 43 million students from every single country in the world. And uh, they've taken about uh, 120 million courses. At the same time, uh, it's been my dream to educate a billion people around the world. Um, education is a human right. Everybody needs to have access to it. And, uh, and so educating you know, 5,000 people at a university uh, uh, wasn't interesting. It, we used to joke that my circuits course on edX drew 155,000 students, but, and that number was greater than uh, the total number of alumni of MIT in its entire history. <laughs> now, at the same time, uh, you know, how do we scale to very large numbers? So what? So we, we did. Uh, uh, we also open sourced the platform as Open edX. So in, in 2013, we opened it up, and anybody could take a platform for free and launch their own site. And today, many countries have adopted it, uh, including national national learning sites at France and Switzerland and Jordan and. Russia and China and Hong Kong and the many sites in India and so on. And so if you look at the total number of learners on open edX powered sites, uh, it's over 100 million. And so uh, together with open edX and edX, uh, over 100 million people have learned, unique people have learned on uh, the edX platform. So have we reached a billion yet? No, but uh, we had 100 million. And so, <laughs> um, so it's clear that we still have uh, ways to go. And uh, Open edX continues very strongly. Uh, we continue uh, uh, supporting Open edX in a big way. And our hope is that we will continue the movement and continue. Uh, 2U has committed to free offerings of courses, um, uh, committed to the free offerings. And at the same time, we are free to degree on, on 2U and edX. And so our hope is that we will continue taking the movement forward and we will hit 1 billion one day. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you launched only 15 years ago, 10, and you're years, already ago. At 10, 10 years, years ago, sorry, 10 years ago, and you're already at 100 million, like, you know, that's, it's, the tipping point is very close. And like, a lot of times, these things are very exponential in nature, and all your successes are a testament to your commitment. But what, um, because when I look at your life story, it's very inspiring any, for anybody, whether you are a high school student or somebody who has been in a, a tech or an entrepreneur, uh, because you are a teacher, you're an innovator, you could have gone to Silicon Valley, you could have tried to start your $10 billion business by now. Uh, you know, what led you, what drives you to focus yourself on education? What leads you to focus on 
creating a ubiquitous learning environment for every student in the world, because it's truly an inspiring story. And I want to hear what drives you. You know, it's very simple. Uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, education is a human right. And, uh, you know, uh, you talk to Chip Pausek, who's the CEO of uh, uh, 2U and edX, and talks about how education changed his life completely. And so, you know, uh, our mission is to uh, simply create the same access to education that we all had uh, the good fortune to, uh, to get access to, I had the good fortune to go to IIT. And so what drives me uh, is the amount of impact we can have. Uh, I have started, uh, you know, half a dozen uh, uh, startup companies, uh, several of them like Tylera Corporation in Silicon Valley, it was a chip company. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, edX was, uh, uh, when founded, was my first nonprofit company. And I joke that I've, I worked much harder, uh, you know, I worked hard at all my companies, but I probably worked much harder on my nonprofit company than any of the for-profit companies. And, and we continue to be highly motivated because I think the impact that we are having, I uh, mean, educating millions of learners around the world and changing their life. 50% 50 per, 50 of the learners on edX are telling us that edX was life-changing for them. 50%. And so when we're having such large impact in, in the millions, where, you know, I was at Bangalore airport, a group of people at midnight came by and said, you know, are you Anant Agarwal? Uh, oh my God, uh, you know, edX is so great. Your university partners and yourselves are helping so many people. You know, we are seeing the enthusiasm from learners all over the world, no matter where we go in the world. And so being able to make such an impact to change the lives of people in what is such a basic human right uh, frankly, it's a mission that drives me and drives all of us at edX and to you every single day. That's amazing. Um, and I know as we start wrapping up this uh, episode, I want to ask you a couple of questions on two things. One is, you know, when you look at edX itself, like one of the things that I always madden me is that every institution in the United States or actually maybe even in Europe as well has math 101 course, physics 101 course, chemistry 101 course. And there is no reason for them to create a curriculum, create a learning material, create, actually teach these courses. They can actually benefit from leveraging a edX on a MOOC course saying, go learn this using your MOOC or on edX and then if you want to have any questions, you can come to the classroom and we'll discuss any questions. Do you think that something like that would happen at educational institutions anytime soon, where they would almost separate the instruction element, which is teaching from learning? Because there is no reason for an instructor to sit on a whiteboard and teach it anymore. They can, most of the freshman courses can be learned on Khan Academy or edX or more advanced courses can be learned, but students still want to come to the class and discuss or go through a facilitated instruction. Do you think the traditional four-year colleges will be open to that idea of separating teaching from learning? You know, we do that, uh, we're doing that today, Kiran. Um, edX, we launched up in the middle of the pandemic, uh, the start of the pandemic, we launched a, a new product called edX online campus. We were receiving calls from hundreds of universities saying that we need to go online quickly and we don't have materials to teach our students. The good news was edX has been doing this for 10 years. Um, in uh, fall of 2012, we did a pilot with San Jose State University in California where uh, they taught uh, the circuits course 
where the students took the circuits course completely on edX online. And Professor Khosrow Gadiri, a San Jose uh, University professor, would be not a sage on the stage, but a guide on the side and help the students. And he would, it was a flipped classroom model. Students would come to class and they would work together in teams and he would help them and motivate them and so on. And uh, we found, uh, he published a paper, he did this three semesters in a row and he found that the pass rates for the circuit scores at San Jose State University went from 60% to over 90%. And so we've been doing That's this. Amazing. We've been doing this since day one. We've done the same experiments and the same kind of um, teaching with uh, uh, IT University in Pakistan, where they launched a data science master's degree, but they use the micro masters in data science from University of California, San Diego, as part of the degree. And the campus professors work with the students and help them, but they take the whole uh, uh, the micro masters from edX, and so. We will see more and more of these styles of what I call blended models of learning, where some learning will come online, some learning will come on campus. We will see a bigger move where professors move from the stage on the stage where you give lectures to more of a guide by the side. And so I think, you know, do every, does every professor like to lecture from a stage? No, I, you know, a lot of professors like to work with students in groups on labs and interactive exercises and so on. So I think that this new model of learning where more and more content will come in online, but the students will form groups and come to campus for what campus is good at, which is getting students together, getting students sure. and professors together. You know, the professor lecturing to students in the classroom with 300 students is not a good thing. You know, two years model, no back row. Uh, we need right. to follow that. And so my view is that this is gonna be the future of education. Great. What other trends are you seeing uh, in the future of education? Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, talks about, you know, Amazon type education where students can pick whichever course from wherever they want and learn and build their own degree. Uh, there's also this idea of stackable micro-credentials. As you sit on top of 2U and edX, what are some of the trends that you see happening in education? And what are some of the trends you would like to see in education? You know, I think, uh, I think at the highest level, the trend that I'm seeing in education um, and particularly accelerated by COVID is a move to learner centricity. Entire industries are moving towards consumer centricity. Similarly, education is moving towards learner centricity. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is asking the learner, what do you care about? And doing things in a way that they care about. I think that learner centricity is a big one. I'll give you an example. Um, degrees tend to be you know, all or nothing. You go to camp campus, spend uh, uh, one year there and get a master's degree or spend four years, they get an undergraduate degree. Now, for, for some learners that is good, but if a learner uh, is working and has a family, it's not so good for that learner because it's, uh, no, there's no way they can go to a campus and leave their family for two years or four years. So what is learner centric for them? Learner-centric means it needs to be offered online so they can be working and learning at the same time. Second is it can be modular and stackable. What do I mean by that? So for many learners, maybe they don't want a full one year or four year degree, maybe they want a piece of a degree. And so they might take a micro bachelor's or micro masters. And edX has been a real leader in inventing the whole modular stackable approach uh, of credentialing. So we launched the pioneering micro masters with MIT. And today we have 60 MicroMasters, which are modular programs, about 20% of a master's degree. So for many people, they'll complete a master's, and that's enough. 
others complete the micro bachelors. One example is uh, Courtney is a learner on edX. <clears throat> she completed a micro bachelors in databases from uh, uh, NYU. She used to be in operations at a trucking company. And now she's a business analyst at the same trucking company. This is Courtney. So many students for whom the micro bachelors is what they need. And she does not have a bachelor's degree. So for many of them, the micro bachelors is good. But many of them would say, look, I want to earn more micro bachelors and stack it up to a full degree. And so uh, we, when you complete a micro bachelors on edX, uh, we work with partner institutions where the credit can accumulate on a transcript. <clears throat> they can continue stacking up these micro bachelors. And one day when they have enough micro bachelors, they can get a full bachelor's degree composed of these Lego blocks. It's like Lego education, where you did Lego blocks from multiple universities that combine to create a full image, which is a bachelor's degree. And so to me, <coughs> excuse me. So to me, this modular stackable approach, this Lego-like education model, where universities will collaborate with each other, where learners will use like a buffet style of education where they'll pick and choose from various places rather than one stovepipe degree and compose a degree like that in a very flexible, lifelong, learner-centric manner. To me, that's the future of education. Anand, it's been an incredible pleasure talking to you and I learned a lot from this discussion. Thank you so much for joining Illuminate Higher Education podcast. Thank you, Kiran. This was a blast. A real pleasure chatting with you, Kiran. Everything is a service. Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart. All of it requires data, integration, and communication. At End2End, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world. 